Luke chapter 4 together. His life for my life wasn't an even trade. His life for your life wasn't an even trade. And I know we spoke about it a few times this morning already, but I hope that you are thankful for what he did for you. Luke chapter 4, let's, let's stand together. When we introduced the Gospel of Luke a couple months ago, I told you we divide the book into three sections from that theme verse, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And uh, we, are, we have just finished up the part with Jesus' coming. We have Jesus' coming, Jesus' is seeking, Jesus' is saving. And we've moved from Jesus' is coming to now Jesus' is seeking. And we, are, we understand, we know, because we know about Jesus, that he's seeking those who need help. He's seeking those who are going to follow him here soon. He's on his way here through uh, the land there in Israel, and he's made his way to Nazareth. And we know at this point he's already healed, he's already uh, done some signs and wonders, and no doubt rumors have made it to his hometown of Nazareth as we get here to Luke chapter 4, and we're going to be in reading in verse 14. It says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and sat down, and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear witness, and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said unto them, You will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatever we have heard done, in Capernaum do also here in thy country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country, but I tell you of a truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elijah sent, save unto Sarepta, city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Lesuas, or Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, and rose up, and thrust him out of the city, and led him under the brow of the hill whereon their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. But he, passing through the midst of them, went his way. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege that it is to hold it in our hands today and, and, Lord, look at it together. And I pray this morning as I preach, God, you'd have me to preach your words. Lord, I know this is what you have for us today without a shadow of a doubt. And I pray the truths in here would be able to apply, would be able to be applied to our life. God, to be a help to each of us. Just bless us today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. As Jesus began his ministry, he taught in synagogues all through Galilee. 
And we see it referenced here in verse 14 and 15. A synagogue, for those that may not know, is a place where the Jews would assemble together, just like we are assembling together here this morning. The Jews on the Sabbath day would go and they would hear the scripture read, they would sing some songs, and somebody would apply whatever it was that was read. And after some time of Jesus doing this, he made his way to his hometown of Nazareth. Nazareth was a lowly city. We can look in the Word of God, and when Nazareth was referenced, people usually didn't talk too good about that city. They would say there's no, nothing good coming out of a place like Nazareth. It was a place where they didn't really have much political pull. They really were not highly educated. It was just a simple group of hardworking people there in that community of Nazareth. But as Jesus went through Galilee and came to Nazareth, he went there to his hometown with the intent of helping them. They'd already heard rumors of his miracles and signs and you would think, as, as we understand, they most likely were very excited to hear Jesus and to see him as he came no, home. And their favorite son, the one they've been talking about for weeks at this point, of all the things they've heard that he's done, is now coming back to them. And we look at Jesus here making his way through, and he attended the synagogue in Nazareth. And this wasn't something that he just occasionally did. This was something that he made a habit out of. He had a habit of going to the synagogue and worshiping and gathering with his people. He made, this as a, he made this a habit as a child as he was raised by Mary and Joseph. This is the Son of God making it a priority to be in the house of God. If Jesus made it a priority, do you think we should make it a priority? You know, I love American history. It fascinates me and I I have uh, always just enjoyed studying the presidents. I've enjoyed time in Washington, D.C., seeing all the science and all the different things. But I read recently, it's something I hadn't heard before, about a man that was president for just one day. We have James K. Polk, and right after him we have Zachary Taylor, our 10th and 11th presidents. James K. Polk, he spent his last day of president on March 3rd, 1849, and at midnight his term was over. He ended his office. That was a Saturday night. Zachary Taylor was a godly man and one that was very intent on being in church on Sunday. And when it was time for him to be sworn in, he told them, I will not make it. We're going to have to move it from Sunday to Monday. And he told them, he said, going to church was a priority, more of a priority than becoming president of the United States. And he postponed that inauguration. So for one day, a man named David Atkinson, he was a senator of Missouri, he was president pro tempore of the United States. And many people would hear that story and look back in history on that event, and they would think, could you think of anything more important than being president of the United States? Zachary Taylor did. <laughs> it was going to church. You know, last month we saw the priority that Mary and Joseph had set in holding the feast of the Passover. We understood, I told you then, the men would have to go, the men that were of age all the way up would make a journey to Jerusalem once a year for the feast of the Passover, but Mary and the other women of the household joined them because it was important to them. This wasn't a rare thing for Jesus to be in a synagogue, it was his custom, as it says there in verse 16. Why? God established this for his people. 
They were to hold to the Sabbath. They were to respect that day. It was to be set apart. It was to be a time where they would go to church and they would go to the synagogues there and gather and hear the scripture read and and sing songs to their God. God established the Sabbath and not too long from this point, God was going to establish his church through Jesus. He established the church for us, for his glory, and for our help. I think if you've gone to church at any, at any amount of time, you understand the Bible tells us that we are to assemble together. It's important for us as Christians to be in the house of God, to hear the word of God preached, to be there to encourage each other, to praise God together. And since Jesus rose from the dead, Christians have used the first day of the week, Resurrection Sunday, as the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day. Sadly, so many Christians, the Lord's Day has become our day, my day. Family day. If it fits into the schedule, we'll go. If it's convenient, we'll go. If, if it does something for me that I really want to get out of it, then maybe I'll go. About 10 years ago, there was a survey taken from the Pew Forum of, on, relig- on Religion and Public Life, and they reported that the largest, the fastest growing religious group was the, the group of the unchurched. Ten years, over 10 years ago, over 16% of those people that were surveyed didn't belong to a church and did not identify with any religious group. Is church a priority? I want you to imagine as Jesus arrived there to the synagogue, the people that made sure they made it that day. There's something special that they were waiting for. They had heard of the signs and wonders. They've heard of the things that he's already been doing. And now he's home. Surely he's going to do something special for us. And they wanted to go in and experience whatever it was. They'd heard how he turned the water into wine at a wedding feast just 10 miles down the road. They'd heard, they'd heard reports of him healing people. They've heard uh, of these conversations that he's had with so many. And his popularity was increasing to a point where they were expecting him to do something great in his hometown. With all the rumors, all the opinions, all the anticipation, Jesus arrived. And he got the scroll from the minister and he went in front of the crowd and stood and began to read the words of his father. It's Jesus. We would expect anybody he was going to talk to would be helped. What text did Jesus use? Well, we, we see here that he read from the prophet Isaiah there, beginning in, in, in verse 18. But he read from Isaiah chapter 61, and he also read a little excerpt from Isaiah 58. I'm just going to read to you what we have here in the New Testament. It says there in verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of the sight to the blind to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Do you imagine hearing Jesus read that? Jesus, obviously, reading this prophecy from 700 years before, knew exactly who it was about. This is a message of God's provision. He understood the application, and it was a good message for the Jews to hear at this point. And as Jesus was, was there reading this, he understood exactly who those five groups were we find in those verses. 
There's these five groups of people included. First of all, it says to bring good news to the poor, the gospel to the poor. The first group he was addressing were those that were poor. You know, if any of us knew of something we could do to help somebody in need, or knew of some place we could send somebody or some, a number somebody could call to receive true help or to receive uh, possibly some money or, or something they, they, they could, that could help them, I think many of us would want to share that. Why? That'd be good news to a person in need. That's helpful. A need is fulfilled. But who is the poor? You know, the Israelites hearing that prophecy, they, they looked at their life, they, they looked at their journey, they looked at all they had gone through, they think of the Roman oppression they're under at this point, and yeah, they're the poor. You know, the New Testament tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, though, it says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. And whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. Yeah, the Israelites were the poor. But the poor were also, and, and more importantly, any without Christ. Those that were not just physically poor, but those that were spiritually poor. And he read to them, a Messiah was there, was coming, to bring good news to the poor. The second group was the brokenhearted. That word brokenhearted refers to people that are crushed by grief or crushed by sin. And he was saying the Messiah would one day come to bring healing to those with broken hearts. The people that are of broken hearts are the people that have maybe made mistakes in their life. Those that have had problems with sin or that have had a struggle with sin in their life. Those that had so many scars from that sin that it brought pain to them and their heart was broken over the choices that they made. But it also meant those that had gone through a loss. Or those that have had struggles in life. Those that suffered of, uh, of horrible grief. And the Bible tells us in the book of Psalms that he, God, healeth the brokenhearted and bindeth up their wounds. I think many of us in here this morning can think of a time where your heart was broken, where you're in great pain in your life. There may be people in here this morning that, that may be scarred from sin or have a heart broken because of choices they've made or what those choices have brought in their life. There may be someone here that not too long ago experienced a loss or some horrible uh, physical news or some illness that has come or cancer, whatever it may be. If your heart's broken, there's someone that can help. Almost 200 years ago, there was a Scottish missionary named John Patton. He and his wife, who was expecting at the time, went to a place called Venutu. And three months after they arrived to give their lives to God and to do what it was that God wanted them to do, three months later, his wife passed. A week after that, his newborn son also died. You can imagine this young man that gave his life to God, that wanted to serve God, and, and these, these horrible losses come, the pain that he had to have felt. But not too long after all of this happened, as he continued serving, he wrote this. He said, but for Jesus and his fellowship, I would have gone mad and died. He wrote, as much as I hurt, Jesus is enough. 
As much pain as, as much pain as I feel in my heart and as much pain as I felt at those moments, Jesus proved to be enough. Are you hurt by grief today? In your heart, do you have this pain there, this brokenness because of choices you've made? I can think of times in my life where I've experienced hurt. People that I love, people that I respected, let me down terribly. Brought a lot of pain. I can think of some choices that I've made against my God that I deeply regret. But he heals that heart. He's proven to be enough. He's the healer of the broken heart. The third group that he references here is the captive. And he brings deliverance to the captive. When he's speaking of the captive, that refers to those that are enslaved to sin. There are, there are people that are not just scarred from sin, that people not just with a broken heart from their sin, but there are people walking this earth today that are shackled because of those sins. That have this stronghold on their life, this, this thing they're not able to overcome on their own, or people that are dead in their sins, meaning they are without Christ. He has not, they have not put their trust in Him to, to cover that sin, and because of that, they are held captive. They are in chains because of what they've done. But He's a God... He's a Messiah that breaks those chains. He's the Messiah that brings deliverance to those that are held captive by their sin. And he was telling them the Messiah one day was going to come to break those chains. The Messiah was going to come one day to set them free. He was enough. I'm thankful for the song my wife sang just a couple weeks ago. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. And if you're saved this morning, those chains have been set free and we can rejoice in that. The fourth group was the blind. He addressed spiritually blind people. And for those people, he would bring sight. I can think of what Jesus said to Saul there in in Acts chapter 26. As Saul was telling, Paul was telling what had happened in his life. And he said, delivering thee from the people, from the Gentiles, and to whom now I send, to to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sin and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith. There are so many people that, in this world that do not understand the purpose for their life. They don't understand what the word of God says. They don't understand who God is. And they're searching for, for fulfillment or for their path of life in all the wrong places. They don't understand why they were created. They don't understand the reason for their life. They don't know God as they should. And we understand this morning that it's found in Jesus. And those that come to him, those that are blind in their sins, those that are blind in the purpose for their life, he can bring sight. The last group was the bruised. The bruised. This is for those that were oppressed. Those that were weighed down by thoughts or feelings that were heavy on their mind or on their spirit. Are you there today? There's many people that are not just bound in sin, not just scarred from it, but many people that are just so heavily burdened in the, because of the world that we live in and the things on their heart. 
the Messiah was coming to bring peace. The Bible tells us in the book of Psalms, cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall what? Sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Jesus preached this message and he reminded them of the good things to look forward to in this prophecy and he, he wanted them to understand that, he, he, that somebody was coming that could take that burden, that could bring healing, that could bring that help. As he continued to read there in verse 19, he said to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. If we were to look in Leviticus chapter 25, we would read of something called the year of Jubilee. Every seventh year for the Israelites was a sabbatical year. The land would get rest, the people would get rest, and that was every seventh year. But every 50th year was called the year of Jubilee. It was a balancing of the economic system. Slaves would be set free to their families. Property would be given back to original owners. All debts were canceled every 50 years. And in that year, everyone would rest and rejoice in the goodness and provision of God. And he was telling them there was a day of rejoicing. There was a day of of liberty coming because of the Messiah. So Jesus finished reading those excerpts from Isaiah 58 and Isaiah chapter 61. And then we read there in, in, in our text here this morning and see that Jesus then closed the scroll. He handed it back to whoever handled it. And then he went and sat down. And by that he was signaling it was time for him to preach. The rabbis in the synagogues would always read the scriptures and then when it was time to apply them would go and sit down in this mode of teaching the people. And the people understood when Jesus was, was being seated that he was about to say something. I want you to imagine this morning being there in that place and Jesus had just finished reading and now he's sitting down and you can imagine the people there were on the edge of their seat ready to hear what he was going to say. And as all eyes were focused on him, he said, this day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. I am the one that brings those things to every soul. What a message. He revealed to them he was the Messiah. If you look there in verse 22, all bear him witness, and they were in wonder. It was an amazing thing for them to hear from his mouth to be said. But after they wondered, they quickly began to question. Is is not this Joseph's son? There was a struggle there. Jesus understood what they were going through, and he began to look at them and say, hey, no prophet is accepted in his own country. You've known me a long time, and you have a lack of faith because of that. No prophet is accepted, and there's no doubt right now that you want to see it for your own eyes, don't you? (laughs) You've heard about it. You've talked to people that witnessed it. You may have heard somebody testify of what they've seen, but you want to see it with your own eyes, and he They quickly found out he wasn't going to do that for them. So to help give them a clearer picture of just exactly who he as the Messiah was going to be seeking and helping, he reminded them of two stories that they all knew very well. And as we look there in verse 25, Jesus referenced 
the story of a widow and the prophet Elijah. We'd find this in 1 Kings chapter 17. This is a woman that lived in a great time of famine. And we understand from that story, she was about to eat the last of her food and then she was going to die. But a prophet knocked on her door and told her that she needed to take the last of her food and give it to him. And if she did it, everything she needed would be provided. What a miracle that was, as she had food that lasted as long as she needed it. She had faith. Then he continued on there in verse 27, and he spoke of a man named Naaman and prophet Elisha. We find that in 2 Kings chapter 5, and Jesus began to remind them of, of that story. Naaman was a commander of the Syrian army sent to Elisha for healing by the king of Syria. And the prophet Elisha said, from the word of God, you need to go to the Jordan River, dip yourself seven times because of your leprosy, and after the seventh time you will be healed. And we understand the story, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, on the seventh time, everything was different. So Jesus read the prophecy from Isaiah, then he gives them examples. And as he's putting all this together, he's beginning to get the point across that the Israelites here this morning think that this is about the physically poor. But it's about much more than that. You think that you're held captive and this is about a Messiah bringing freedom from captivity of Rome. It's about freedom from the bondage of sin. You think this is about me just coming and bringing sight to the blind. But this is about giving sight to the spiritually blind. You think that the Messiah is going to come and bring a year of God's favor. You think that the Messiah is going to come and make everything all better for you and you're going to have everything you need. You're going to have rest. You're going to have all that you could ever want. This is about more than that. This is about an eternity in the favor of God. And after hearing all of this, the people grew angry at Jesus. They drove him out of the synagogue. What did Jesus say that was so offensive? What, what, in the, what could he have done? As we look at it this morning, it sounds all great to us. As we look at it, what did he say? What, what did he get across that made them so angry? What was so offensive? He gave a widow food. He healed a leper. He's, he's said that he's the one to come and to, to help people to do all these things for them. He's the fulfillment of that prophecy. What did he say that was so upsetting? He's very direct in the illustrations he used. He reminded them that God didn't help a widow of the Jews, of all the widows there in Israel. He helped a Gentile widow. You could go to any city in Israel at this point, and you could go to the gates of the city, and you could find lepers lined up out there, begging for food, but... The leper he referred to wasn't an Israelite, was a Syrian commander, not a poor widow, worse than that, a high up soldier, a high up commander. 
And then he basically told them that those two Gentiles had more faith than they did. But this was their prophecy. This, this was for them. This is supposed to just help them. They're the ones that are oppressed. They're the ones that, that need help. They're the ones that need to be set free. They're the ones that need that year of Jubilee. They're the ones. They've been waiting. They've been praying. It's their God. Why is he doing it for more than just them? Through this, Jesus said, you think all of this is about you. You are arrogant. What about your neighbor? Your friends, the, those who are different, talk different, look different. He told them, hey, I'm the one, and I'm not just coming for Israel. <laughs> I came for the world. And as we study Luke's gospel, we quickly find that this gospel was written for the Gentiles. Who is it addressed to? A man named Theophilus. A high up Roman official. And in everything that Luke is writing under the inspiration of God was written with the intent to help these Gentiles come to an understanding of who Jesus was and why he came. And as you look at this book this morning, this book was written for you. But these people were upset. It's one thing for God to help the poor. It's another thing for God to help our rich enemies. They, you know, they thought they were the poor because of what had happened over and over again. But Jesus said the poor are those without the Messiah. These Jews thought that they deserved something more than anyone else did. They thought with their attendance in the synagogues, their knowledge of the law, their moral standing, that their Messiah was going to bless them and them alone for that. And now they're hearing this message that Jesus said, I have come for all the poor, I have come for all the blind, I have come for all the captives, and it hurt them to hear that. Augustine said they love truth when it enlightens them, but they hate truth when it accuses them. So these people went to their Messiah, drove him out, and followed him to an edge of a cliff. They were so angry at his message, and their reaction was to try to kill him. They wanted to cast him down. The Bible says headlong. They wanted him gone. They hated his message and rejected it. Verse 30 says, but he, passing through the midst of them, went his way. I'd love to really be able to see what happened that day. But all we know is that they were there on the edge of the cliff surrounding him. And he, looking back at them, calmly walked through without a scratch. And he continued. His ministry was just getting started. The world may oppose the message of God. The world may oppose the Bible. The world may oppose the, the work of the church. People may reject it. People may mock it. People may criticize it. But it doesn't change what's true. And God's word will endure until his work is done here. 
The Bible says being born again, not of a corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower therefore falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. In the Old Testament, he says, the Lord of hosts hath purposed, and who shall disannul it? And his hand is stretched out, and who shall turn it back? The answer is no one. No one can. Our God remains. And no matter how hard the world may try to stop it, his word endures. His work continues. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So what do we do in response to this? What application do we have for the Christian today? The first thing is, make him a priority. Jesus made it a priority to go to a place that was going to bring no help to him. Because that's what God intended him to do. But God has given us the church for our help, for our benefit. But he's also given it to us because we have a purpose, which is to bring him glory. But I'll just make his church a priority, make his commission a priority. There's no one walking this earth that is too bad or too good to not need to come to Jesus. You can think of the worst people out there today. I think we could go either direction and we could, after a while, find some pretty bad people. And the only difference between them and you is Jesus. It's not our job as Christians to determine who receives it and who doesn't. Who we give the good news to and who we don't. It's our job to do what it is he's commanded us to do and to preach his word without apology and to try to encourage anyone without Christ to come to him. need to be obedient and share it. That's what we need to do as Christians. But what is in here for those without Jesus? Maybe there's somebody here right now that if you died or if you passed away today, you don't know where you'd spend eternity. We'd like it to be heaven. Just not sure. And as we read this this prophecy, you may at times feel blind to spiritual things. You may feel poor without Christ spiritually. Weighed down, chained in sin, broken heart. Jesus said, if you're blind, I'll give you sight. If you're weighed down, I can relieve you. If you're held captive, I can set those chains free. If, if your heart is broken from sin or from grief, from a life experience, I can give you healing that no man can give. If you are poor, I am the good news. If that's you, choose him. Accept him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He came for you. Now it's up to you to either choose to respond in acceptance or denial.
What's our choice today? Every head bowed, every eye closed.